0: Thanks for joining the podcast today. If you didn't already know, this podcast is based off of our YouTube channel. You can find the link in the description below. Be sure to subscribe. Also check us out on Facebook and Instagram. Let us know who you are and where you're watching from. We'd love to get to know you. We are a self-funded channel. We don't receive money from churches or ministries, and that allows us to continue to make content that pushes the borders of our faith. So if you enjoy what we do, consider giving to our Patreon, For as little as a cup of coffee a month, you can help support this channel. You can find the link in the description below. Thanks again for joining us. We believe that by coming together, we can leave bad religion defenseless.
1: Hey everybody, we are back. This is our end of May podcast, so you'll either be getting it by the end of May or maybe the beginning of next month. Who knows? Uh, But we usually try to release these things, you know, Monday mornings, 5 a.m. So you can start your work week out contemplating deep theological and social (laughs) Christian issues. Um, yeah, it seems to be working. Uh, like I said, last week, podcast is growing, everything's going good. So, uh, this week I think we can just dive right in. We had a couple of ideas for guests, uh, but those kind of fell through, but we're trying to be more consistent with posting. So we're just going to dive in. I don't feel like we're completely, um, you know, out of luck this week. Cause obviously we got Christina, the wife here, uh, this week I wanted to start talking about women in ministry. Um, I know this is kind of a hot button issue for some people, for some people, it's kind of taboo. And then I feel like it's one of those things in the Bible where you may have been reading your Bible at some point, especially if you've been in the old Testament and there's a few issues, um, or spaces in the new Testament where you may have been reading and saw a couple lines about women and be like, (laughs) <laughs> hmm, that's interesting. How does that fit into the uh, modern landscape of, you know, church in America where we are today? Um, and then I'm sure you've seen, you know, certain pastors online, TikTok, YouTube, saying different things about different things. So uh, what I wanted to do today was obviously not just be a man talking about women in ministry, but uh-huh. having my wife here who has been in ministry for, I don't know how many years now.
0: A long time.
1: Pretty much your whole adult life, right? Yeah, yeah. So – um Ever paid ministry? Have you ever been paid to do ministry? Mm -hmm. Which doesn't really matter, but, you know.
0: I don't think so. Okay. I don't think so.
1: I spent a lot of my, I don't want to call it a career, but I spent a lot of my quote unquote ministry career um, as volunteer, high level volunteer though. Um, I don't think that has a um, a meaning on the value I brought to the ministry (laughs) position um, but it did have a meaning on how much they paid me or not paid me. I guess at that point. <laughs> so uh, I've done both. I've done volunteer, high level volunteer ministry, and I've done uh, you know full time paid ministry as well. So, um, but you've been in ministry most of your life. So your ministry positions, quote unquote, mostly children worship. Anything else?
0: Um, I mean, in my younger days, it was more like anything that needed to be done. Like, so you're going to greet today. You're going to work in the nursery today. Like literally just anything that was short handed. Right. So I've kind of been around. But the thing I did consistently for a while was children's ministry. I think what three years straight. Right. At our old church.
1: Um, In all your years in ministry, had you ever thought of or been explicitly told, um, I'm a woman. Therefore, my job in ministry is X, Y, Z. Like, was that ever a thought that crossed your mind or um, as far as you knew, the gates were wide open for you to do anything you wanted inside of the church that your gender didn't have any bearing on that?
0: Um, I mean, I don't think my gender had any bearing. I th- I think specific circumstances and things had more of a say in like what I did and or how things turned out. And I can explain what I mean by that. Um. But I also remember being taught that as a woman, like, and the pastor's wife role, sure. like that was taught to, I don't know if it was like taught to all young girls or like, I, I can't remember exactly the setting, but um, I was taught or like it somehow got drilled into me that the wife, I mean, the the role of a pastor's wife.
1: Right. Now, was that like, from your perspective, whether it was explicitly said or not, was that kind of the highest achievable office a woman could reach
0: I mean kind of yeah yeah
1: right like, so just being alongside of your husband mm-hmm. if he was the head pastor of a church was probably the highest you could reach yeah never could see yourself or was told you know one day you could pastor a church by mm-hmm. yourself regardless of whether you're married or not
0: Mm-mm. no no interesting. yeah
1: interesting <laughs> no I I mean I feel I mean I, I grew up a man so obviously these are thoughts that I never. Had you know, because uh, honestly, just being a, a man in the church world, all the doors are open for you if you have the aptitude for it, basically. Yeah, um, and then I think as far as men are concerned, we think about having wives and pastors' wives and stuff mm-hmm. like that, but I, you know, I growing up and even you know, in my adulthood have never thought like, oh, my wife could probably only achieve this station in ministry. Um, simply because she is a female, regardless of my station or not. You know, I mm-hmm. I'd never, ever thought about that. Now, to be fair, I do know that not all denominations think this way. Sure. In, in Western, you know, American Christianity. However, I do think um, the more evangelical, charismatic, Pentecostal side of uh, Christendom that we grew up in, mm-hmm. it's it's like the, it's the thing you don't say. What, what's the phrase? Well, I guess the phrase I'm thinking of is the, the quiet part said out loud. But this is the the loud part that is kept in <laughs> the closet, you know, if you will.
0: I mean, it's just I mean, it's basically like church gender roles. I mean, like American gender roles in the church. Right though.
1: now. So maybe you were never explicitly taught or maybe you were that women can't be the head of a church mm-hmm. um, without their husband. And and if you are, it is in partnership with your husband. Um, had you grown up hearing teachings sermons bible studies literally any form of leadership telling you what a woman's place was in the church function uh i mean any
0: um of yeah i mean uh, uh, a woman uh we're, we're taught to always be in the role of a supporter like a support and i think that's in even marriage if, even if and, you're not married um i i, I don't know I, I mean, definitely, like, I mean, the goal is to get married. I mean, so you're, like, trained to do it as a single person. Like,
1: But everything's in preparation to get married and then be alongside your husband, whatever he's doing in ministry.
0: Yeah. I mean, and I definitely 100% grew up in a church that had that thought of no women leading type thing. I think the older I got and the more, um, I, I guess, the more I learned and listened or, like, had been just different churches in the same vein. I, I I never thought about being the head pastor of a church. I, I, I saw women in children's ministry and things like that, but I think that was like the pinnacle for them. Like right. that's the thing and that's that.
1: But you never questioned it. You were never like, why is this this way? It was just deeply ingrained into what you thought ministry was.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I'd say so.
1: And it was never pitched in a way, I'm just kind of prodding and poking here. It was sure. never pitched in a way Um, to where you felt less than, right? Like they explicitly talked down to you or made you feel less than Mm -hmm. men, but it was also never pitched in a way that you could do anything that a man could do. Sure. Right? Yeah. So there's this weird like tug and pull. It's like, well, we're not here to put women down, but had you try to rise, you know, to use a Hamilton line, had you try to rise above (laughs) your station, you may have been shut down at some point.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm sure as
1: far as trying to be like the head pastor or, you know, I don't know your specific denomination. Like if you wanted to become a, I don't know if they allowed them to be deacons or they did elders us to
0: become ordained. Right. Ministers.
1: So you could go be an ordained children's pastor.
0: I guess so. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I don't know if they would take us as a head pastor of church. I don't know. any yeah. head pastors in the denomination I was in.
1: Yeah. Um, I knew actually the more I think about it now, I knew of women like in their fifties, maybe even sixties that were quote unquote high up in ministry, but they never seemed to be attached to a church unless their husband was the pastor.
0: Right. They're Um, the co pastors type
1: deal. Or if they were solo, they typically weren't attached to a church. They were more like, you know evangelist so-and-so
0: doing like a separate ministry right but
1: not under the covering of a quote-unquote church and i don't know how tight of a covering they were under under the denomination so Mm -hmm. um once again these just were not things that i ever thought about as a guy growing up in church um you know i don't think anytime a woman got up to teach preach or whatever that i was like shocked or that a congregation was shocked but i think there was just always this understanding that like yeah it's she's up there and that's fine but we know that men at the end of the day are maybe it wouldn't be said like this but i think this is the the general sentiment men rule the church that's the idea yeah. And then women are either partners with the men that rule the church or in one form or fashion, they are under a man who's leading a church. Yeah,
0: because I definitely grew up and saw even even in my college days, like in the couple of churches I went to that they're in the same vein because there's the same denomination. But um, women were allowed to speak like I, there was women who would speak on a Sunday morning mm-hmm. or something like that.
1: Like the Mother's Day service, the once a year Mother's yeah. Day
0: service. Yeah. Um, Or just like, you know, kind of like a special guest type deal, like, or they would like. But I really, if I can remember clearly, it was rare until I got a little older. Like the more traditional um, people I I was under, it was, I would say, rare. Um, But definitely people at church believed they weren't meant for that role and shouldn't be in that role.
1: Sure, for sure.
0: Should not be.
1: And there are hardcore denominations out there that still believe that, you know, right? uh, and tons and tons of groups of people that still believe that. I know
0: plenty of people that still believe that women should not be even in, like, government. Sure. Like, any type of leadership role. They're like, no, they're not meant for that. They're weak. Right. I'm like, oh, no, don't say that to me.
1: (laughs) It wasn't until later on in, like, my ministry adulthood, and by later on, I mean maybe, like, my early to mid-20s, That I stepped outside of the uh, charismatic lane that I grew up in and started working for different denominations, Presbyterians, Methodists, things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And it wasn't until I stepped into those arenas um, that I saw women in more prominent leadership roles. Mm -hmm. Um, And honestly, in all my years of ministry now, what am I, 34? Yeah. Um, Been leading worship since I'm 16, you know? Um, I've actually still never served under a uh, strictly female leadership mm-hmm. um there's been pastors wives obviously but that you know that's it that's not what we're talking about yeah. I, I mean serve directly under a female pastor or leader I've never served under that ministry um I have worked with churches um you know come in done worship for them done social media stuff video stuff for them um I I work for a church right now uh, running their social media um in Nebraska and they' uh their pastor um, is a is a woman mm-hmm. I think she's in her 50s or 60s but you know full ordainment you yep. know no issues anything like that but um, this is more kind of contract work so I don't work like directly under sure. churches kind of, but uh, even still this is technically the first time I've ever worked uh, under a woman in in ministry yeah. leadership
0: I mean I think we've been like you said once we we've gone to other denominations a little bit more when we got older um, there was like women associate pastors And that was new for me because I had never even had a, a woman pastor on staff like that. Right. I mean, I feel like now it's a little more like for non denominational, it's like co pastors. So, like, they are, they try to make sure they're on the same level. Right. And I guess just wording.
1: It's that funny (laughs) thing. I I posted that meme uh, the other day on Facebook about like how each denomination views John 316. And I love the non-denominational one. It just says we do not have a stance on this because they they try to be as neutral as (laughs) possible. So even when you step into more non-denom things, um, they may have like a woman speaking for Mother's Day or or here and there. But I doubt they're going to take a hardline stance either direction because they don't want to offend the traditionalist, quote unquote. And they don't want to uh, offend, you know, those people who do not come from a traditional background. Mm-hmm. So they just probably don't even talk about whether women should be in leadership and ministry or not. They just kind of pepper it in where it seems uh, beneficial. But
0: yeah. yeah, I mean, it's not surprising that people would take um, a verse in the Bible or anything like that and, uh, you know, slap that on women. I think women like a lot of other people like or have been second class citizens for a long time. Um, I I think more, you know, probably not, I mean, not just in America.
1: Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's a global thing and we, and we can talk about more as we go on why that's the case and, and when it happened Um, before we dump jump into that though, the scripture side of things, you had some stats that you pulled (laughs) up. And I just thought it was interesting because, you know, it, it's very easy to get tunnel vision i think in ministry and i think very few of us are in the opportunity to not or yeah to not get tunnel vision in ministry and by that i mean most of us are not working for multi denominational groups you know in a given year typically whatever lane you're in whether it's presbyterian whether it's methodist whether it's non denom whether it's you know pentecostal whatever lane you're in you're pretty much in And there's very little crossover between denominations. I bring that up to say that its I think it's rare today um, that you don't get tunnel vision as far as seeing how other denominations operate and function. Uh, But you pulled up some stats earlier talking about women in ministry, how society views it and how the church views it. Just just throw some of those random stats at us.
0: Sure. So this one I just wanted to read first. I didn't read this one to you yet, but um, it says that there's like, thirty one thousand pastors in the US. I don't know if that sounds accurate or not. Is
1: that in a particular denomination or just in general? Okay. And it
0: says the average age is fifty one. Okay. Uh eighty percent, eighty seven percent male, thirteen percent female. Wow. Um, seventy-three percent white. Okay. Ten percent black. Um, but then the other one that I already showed you says um 79% 79% of Americans are comfortable with a female pastor, but only 39% of evangelicals. Um,
1: Which th- is the denomination we grew up in. Yeah. Okay. And it
0: says 72.8% of evangelicals are fine with a woman preaching on Sunday morning. 3% of evangelical congregations and 30% of mainline congregations have a female senior pastor.
1: Only 3% of evangelicals. Wow, and what was the percentage that approved of a female uh, in the evangelicals preaching?
0: Seventy-two percent.
1: That's very interesting. I wonder wha- they're okay
0: with them talking, but maybe not right. They didn't the show. ask
1: right. They didn't <laughs> ask them about you know the the female being the lead pastor.
0: Yeah, and um, it says only thirteen point five percent of U.S. congregations had a female head pastor, and that's so. I'm guessing that's all denominations. You know what I mean?
1: So okay, th- and this is interesting. So thirteen. Percent thirteen point five percent have a female pastor. Only three percent of evangelical churches have a female pastor. Mm-hmm. Um, but it seems like well, that that's kind of a rough stat to to go by as far as like having a woman preaching versus having a woman leading the entire right. church. I feel like those are two different things. So I don't think they asked the right question there. Um, but that is very interesting that in the evangelical world, which You know, this may be a little bit of tunnel vision, but I do feel like I'm kind of out in the Christian landscape a little bit more. I do feel like the evangelicals are kind of the loudest in the bunch, especially when it comes to politics in America. Um, And it is interesting that only 3% of uh, women in the evangelical circles are um, pastors. Yeah. compared to the 13, what'd you say, 13.5% uh, in the rest of the denomination. So so what we have to do when we look at these numbers, and I know those are kind of big, rough and tough numbers to look at, because, I mean, if we really wanted to get nitty gritty, we could take the, what'd you say, 31,000 pastors, we could divide that up into the evangelical space and the mainline space, and we could, we could run some numbers to actually see what this looks like. But I don't know that's necessary. I think what is important to look at is... Um, especially coming from our evangelical upbringing. And I think most of our listeners, um, or at least a good portion of them, do come from that more um, evangelical charismatic upbringing. So the big question I have right out of the gate is, why uh, do evangelical churches only account for 3% of women in pastoral leadership? Whereas the mainline churches in America are much closer to 13%. Now, that's still nowhere close to 50%, sure. you know, if we're talking about men and women being equal. Um, but they're even in that gap 3 to 13, that's still a pretty big disparity. Um, any guesses on why that would be?
0: I mean, it's that deep, deep, I mean, I'm sure like teachings from I don't know how long ago, uh, an understanding of. Uh, like I said, understanding of like, man, it's a combination of things like the, the hierarchy of marriage and uh, women's roles and gender roles and like even just in our country. And and like you said, understanding of certain scriptures that I think it's a combination of it all. To-
1: yeah. And I think you're right. Isn't it funny though? And, and we know this, but I don't know how much we think or talk about this. We all read the same Bible, give or take a (laughs) translation, which translations are important. And, you know, I've slid into, you know, the CSB and the NASB. Those are kind of the ones I read now for biblical accuracy when I'm just trying to read. Um, When I'm studying, I'm still using uh, my concordance for like the Greek or the Hebrew or whatever I need to get in and dive deep into some of those word studies. But um There are some some subtle differences in how the translations deliver certain parts of Scripture. Um, Definitely more in the New Testament, I feel, than the Old Testament.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, But isn't it funny that we have the same Bibles and it's written in the same language, English, you know, Mm -hmm. some of them King James, like Old English, which, yeah, anyway. Um, But we have the same Bibles and we're reading the same text by the same authors, um, but yet we come to wildly different conclusions about a lot of different things. Um, and the one thing that I've noticed, and I'm pretty comfortable saying this now after just being nerdy with the scriptures for so many years now, which, and I'm by no means am I a scholar, but, um, I strive to be that. That's one of the things I really, I do enjoy doing, uh, in my Christian walk is really just dissecting scripture consistently. Um, I don't believe the author's intended, let's just say the New Testament, Paul, for example, Paul wrote most of the New Testament. I don't think Paul intended for his writings. Well, A, we can say clearly that Paul, I don't think, knew that his writings were going to be considered biblical canon. (laughs) Um, But even still, I don't think when Paul was writing his letters to the Hebrews, to the Romans, to the Ephesians, all these different places, I don't think he was like, man, I hope in a couple hundred years, thousand years, however long Paul thought these letters might last, I really hope that people have a ton of different translations on what I'm trying to (laughs) say right now. Like that that was not his intent as the author of something. Like what he wrote, he wrote for a very specific reason um, to convey a very specific message. And it is so funny to me that 2,000 plus years later, um, we have wildly different interpretations about what Paul, even Paul in the New Testament was well, trying to say.
0: Right, and to a specific group of people.
1: Sure. Um, but but I find that insane, that a lot of people's faith and biblical identity is based on some of these wildly misunderstood verses and and even chapters and books inside the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll dig into scripture here in a second, but it is funny to me that um, we're all reading the same text, but even inside of the same country, in the same town, because, you know, there's Tons yeah. of different denominations just inside our town that's only roughly about 100,000 people. You have all these different opinions and ideas on what particular scriptures and verses mean. But it is yeah. crazy to me that that is not how Paul wrote this. Paul did not write an open-ended letter be like, mm, this is a little fuzzy and I, you guys work it out amongst yourselves later. Like that, Paul, I mean, if you've read any of Paul, that is not how that guy operates. He is yeah. very direct in what he's trying to say. Uh, I just think we've lost a lot Um Over the generations. And we also just don't know how to read our Bibles very well Uh, anymore.
0: And it's funny that um, a lot of uh, like a lot of churches are like, like, don't let the culture like we're different, like than the culture in the world. But I'm like, they're so like the Like when some of their views and perspectives that are so old school, like with gender roles and things like that. I'm like, since when have women not been good enough? I don't think Jesus would say things like that.
1: Well, there's this idea, and I've, I've never actually thought about it this way before. There's this idea inside of Christendom that traditional is best. The problem with that is over the course of biblical history, just inside of biblical history, the idea of tradition has shifted so so many times, and meant so many different things to so many different followers of God and or Jesus, if you jump into the New Testament. So this idea of traditional is almost meaningless because God is constantly shaping the quote unquote traditions of his people mm-hmm. as the biblical narrative goes on. Yeah, And it only stands to reason that even though the New Testament was written, you know, give or take in the first hundred years of, you know, zero to 100 AD. um, Well, I guess more like 40 to 100 AD, depending on which scholar you look at. But um, it gives to reason that that God would still be shaping and forming these quote-unquote traditions or cultural norms because society was shifting and changing. And I think there's this okay. idea like, oh, God is the same God he is today. That's absolutely true, but man is not the same. Right. And culturally, we are constantly shifting and changing. Does that mean the principles of God change? No, that's not what it means at all. But it does mean we have to apply what God is saying and doing in context of our culture, because if we don't, we're going to do weird things like stoning men for growing long hair. You know, like if we want to be traditional, that would be the Levitical way to go about doing it. But well, oh, brother, that's the law. Okay, so what do we mean when we say traditional? And a lot of times what we mean is, and I hate to be so black and white about this, but a lot of times what we mean is how did the white men in power in America view it as America was being shaped and formed?
0: Sure. That's
1: what we mean by traditional. Now, we don't come out and say that because that seems sexist, right? Mm -hmm. Or it seems racist. Um, But let's just call it what it is. Some of it is. Right. Mm -hmm. We can't say, oh, our founding fathers meant this. Well, okay, that's fine. But our founding fathers also had slaves and our founding fathers also committed genocide and did a lot of other crazy things. And I'm not here to throw shade on them. There's plenty of them that did really cool things. And we have a country here. And that's not the point. The point is we have to understand a lot of these, quote unquote, traditional values that we hold on to were shaped not by the community as a whole, but by, by a very select group of people mm-hmm. who said we are in charge. Right. Specifically in this country, white men. Mm-hmm. So even if you go back to, you know, the early 1900s, we talk about, oh, the nuclear family in the 1930s, 40s and 50s. That was like the golden age. Women d- were not viewed as equals during no. that time. Uh uh, people of color were not viewed as equals at that time. Right. So we talk about going back to the good old golden age. What what are we talking about here? Now you might like, oh, Lauren, why are you talking about politics and social stuff again? Because all of this applies to the Bible. Because the Bible applies to culture and society. And you have to know that the people during that time, whether it was early America, whether it was early 1900s America, um, these were men Uh, which I am one of, uh, (laughs) white men, which I am half of, um, who said, we are in control. We are in power. And let me show you the scriptures to prove it. And those were used inside of the American landscape that considers itself mostly Christian, which I have debates on that and we can get into that (laughs) in a later podcast. We have these men using scripture to back up these claims And because they could point to certain places in the Bible that seemed to back up these ideas without giving a greater context of what Paul or other writers were trying to say, people bought it hook, line, and sinker. And then we built these traditional values based on these people's interpretations. Now, I can go back even further in the 14 and 1500s when you had people translating the Bible. And guess who it was who was translating the Bible? White men. (laughs) In the, Ro- in the Roman Catholic space. <laughs> so once again, when we talk about scriptures in the Bible that seem to be um, anti-woman, or scriptures in the Bible that seem to be non-sympathetic to people of color. That is not surprising to me, not because I believe the original authors such as Paul in the New Testament meant to do things like that, but because over the course of hundreds and thousands of years, there have been a particular people group who have been deciding what the Bible says and telling us what the Bible says. So all these traditions and values that we think are core to the gospel today, we really have to pause for a minute and reevaluate and say, hold on, is this translation trying to push me in a certain direction? Is this pastor, this denomination, is this viewpoint trying to push me in a certain direction because of who translated it or who's delivering the message? Or is this what Paul and or other writers of the scripture were trying to tell us? Mm -hmm. Also, before we dive into the scripture, we have to understand, especially when you go back to the Old Testament, women were absolutely second-class citizens. But does that mean that that's how God viewed them? Or was that how culture and society treated them at that time? And was God working out a deeper plan to bring back that? And and people are going to get all been out of shape when I use this word, equality, but I do believe there's equality between men and women. And I do believe it's biblical and we'll get into that here in a second. Um, My personal belief is that God is working that through the biblical narrative to bring women back into a space where they're not viewed as second-class citizens. However, God has to work through the filter and lenses of society and culture through hundreds and thousands of years to do it. And, and you can, if, if you know your Bible and you've gone through it and you were to tie a thread between all the women in scripture, starting with Genesis, ending in the book of Revelation, you will see a story unfolding that God is working out through womankind as well. But you have to be in that mindset. You have to be in that vein. And a lot of times we're not reading the Bible with those particular things in mind. And I'm not saying you should read the Bible as a feminist manifesto. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying if this is the thing you're trying to figure out in all your study, it's there. You can find the thread that attaches all this, but you have to go out and seek it. So I know that's a lot. Um, But I do think it's worth saying when we talk about our traditional values, because that's typically what you'll I mean, we were at a marriage conference two, three weeks ago. And Mm -hmm. we literally heard someone from the boomer generation, a white man, (laughs) tell us about these traditional values.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: I could get upset. I could get bent out of shape. I could raise my hand. I could rebut all that stuff. But at the end of the day. I understand that people are just kind of stuck there sometimes, especially if they're older, because they think these traditional values that they're holding on to are of God, where I think we have space to push back here on the podcast and, you know, in our own private call it ministry, call it whatever you want to call it, uh, YouTube and all the things we do is – I feel like we can say, but hold on, where do those traditional values come from? And are we really convinced that this is the biblical narrative playing out today? Or are we hanging on to some of these societal gender norms that were created to Maybe oppress is a strong word, but I do think there's a strong argument for that inside of certain pockets of history, not allowing women to vote, not allowing women to do certain things that men can do. Uh, There there was a time for that. Maybe that's not as harsh today. So I don't know if we would use the word oppress, although you may have an argument for that, but definitely to knock women down a peg when Mm -hmm. it comes to ministry. Now, once again, we talked about earlier This is not all denominations. This is not all Christianity. But there are certain parts of Christianity, the ones that we grew up in, and we did not grow up in the same town. We didn't grow up in the same state. We grew up close to 2,000 miles away from each other. Right. And the same things were being perpetuated and taught. And we didn't grow up in the same identical denomination. Right. Now, they were kind of sister denominations. But so… There's a lot of space in between how you and I grew up, but Mm -hmm. yet we find these same kind of core ideas, especially when it comes to things like women in ministry. So um, before I dive into like the scriptural part of it, is there anything you want to kind of add or or anything like that? No, no. Okay. So I thought what we could do, there's one scripture in particular I want to pull apart um, today because if I went through all the women in ministry scriptures it would take us probably five or six podcasts and hey honestly if you guys are into this and you want to dive in more to the scriptures just drop us a note drop us a message because i have no problem going into them but i know sometimes we go in a little too deep and we kind of pull apart things a little too much and i think people get fatigued um <laughs> So I really just kind of want to take apart one scripture day and just kind of talk about the overall biblical narrative um, so that you guys kind of just have a general baseline of how you should look at scripture. And then you can take this kind of same principles and then go out through your Bible, especially in the New Testament, because that's where we're going to spend most of our time today and look at things that Paul said and be like, oh, okay, maybe I need to view this through a different lens instead of the lens that I was given today. Yeah. Um, all right. So let's just start from the beginning here. Um I'll start with a simple question was man and woman. If you believe in the Bible, Genesis creation story was man and woman created equal. I think we have to start there.
0: Are you asking? Yeah,
1: I'm asking just, just an open ended question. Okay. So give me why, why was man and woman created equal?
0: Well, um, because I mean, they both had the same, (laughs) I don't, I don't, I don't know what word to use like I guess they were both created with the same purpose and to to be together and were uh, like allowed to do the same things in the garden. Like there wasn't rules about who could do what, I don't think.
1: Right, yeah, and I think that's a good place to start. So a couple, couple notes I'll give. I'm pretty sure as far as the creation of man, there are three accounts inside the book of Genesis. I think it's Genesis 2. I think there's another one in Genesis 3. And then I think in Genesis 5, it recaps it again. Uh, Don't quote me on that, but I'm pretty sure those are where that happens. Um, And there's slight variations. They're not contradictory at all because they're only a couple chapters apart, but they're more of like... Uh, You know, in like a TV show where like you watch a scene and then like an episode later, they show you the same scene, but they give you a little bit more information or show it from a different angle. That's kind of how Genesis looks at the creation story. But it gives us a more rounded image when you kind of take all three into account.
0: Sure.
1: Um, So we all know the basic verse, like Adam was created from the dust. God breathed life into his nostrils, said it's not good for him to be alone. Uh, let me create for him a helper. Now let's stop there. Now I didn't pull this up. Um, I did not pull this word up because once again, I'm trying not to get super nerdy with it, but please feel free to go in your Bible because I know exactly where it is. I just can't remember the word right now and I don't want to spend 10 minutes looking up Um, and you don't have to either.
0: Okay.
1: Go in your Bible and look up the word helper in Genesis. When he uses that word helper, um, a lot of times how I've seen it pitched today and you tell me if this is accurate when we explain that Eve was created to be Adam's helper what's the first thing that comes to mind
0: like supporter like I mean I always think of it as marriage but um like I think they teach that it's different but not less than and they say that but I don't think that's what they, like, I don't think that's what they actually, yeah. like, treat you, or if that makes sense. Even
1: in know. this marriage conference, I watched this guy kind of tie himself in knots doing this.
0: Oh, yes.
1: Uh, and I, he's not the first person I've seen kind of tie themselves in knots trying to explain this. Not I, how we're explaining I, it, just in yes. general.
0: I get the sentiment of things being, um, like, different, but of the same value. I, like, I, that's a thing I totally understand, but I don't think that it applies here to like women and their role.
1: Right. So I, I pulled it up just, just for fun. Uh, nah, don't kill me on pronunciation guys. Cause I'm just not good. It is spelled E Z R. I'm just going to take a shot at that. Oh, uh, pronunciation. It says here, it, it looks like azer. Azer is the word for helper. Now, what's funny is um, this is used, uh, I'm just trying to go through this real quick. It looks like it's used 21 or 22 times uh, in the Old Testament. Almost every single time it's used, it's referring to God. Um, I'll give you a good uh, example here. Let me just jump through. Um, Psalms 22, may he send you help from the sanctuary and support you from Zion. Now he's talking about the help that God provides here using the same word. Okay. Um, let me see, find another one here. Okay. Here's a good one. Psalms 115.9. Uh, Israel trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. So what we're seeing here is the same exact word used for Eve as Helper does not mean second than less than support system. Mm -hmm. It means protector, shield. It means help in the sense of like to partner with. Yeah. It is not a a a less than word. It it's not meant to denote Eve was his secretary. Yeah. Or Eve was the the Robin to his Batman. Mm -hmm. That is not the word here. The word here is literally partner. And we know that because every other time, almost every other time it's used in the Old Testament, the same exact word, it's typically denoting God helping man in a particular manner. So it wouldn't make any sense for that word azur to mean second than or support system in the way that we think and sure. or teach it. Yeah. it is specifically talking about partnering with to help now. This is a little side note that I learned today, and I don't know how much it matters, but it is kind of cool. We all talk about how Adam, or I mean Eve, was pulled from Adam's rib, right? Mm-hmm. You know, the, the translation is not rib. Um, now, this this is splitting hairs, and it doesn't really matter. But I did find it interesting today. Um, it, there's nowhere in in the Hebrew language where that word actually means rib. It actually is closer to meaning part of. Okay. So what it really means is that God took a part of Adam. Could have been any part. Could have been physical. Could have been spiritual. Could have been a piece of brain. Why do matter.
0: people say ribs? Who,
1: well, like I said, once again, a lot of these translations. In I hate to say this, guys, but if you haven't figured this out about your Bible, this is <laughs> worth noting. Sometimes these scholars who are translating scriptures are just giving it their best shot. They sure. don't have sure. a word for word. So I think I don't think rib is. Wrong, because it could have been a rib, but it's not explicitly right either. Right. Really, it means that God took a part of Adam. Now, what I find is interesting because you've—I've heard pastors say this. Well, you know, the rib brother—it supports the the, the skeletal <laughs> system and it holds <laughs> it up, and it's there to—I mean, I've heard pastors just way. go on and on. Yeah. <clears throat> Problem is, that's not really what Scripture says. Right. I mean, it could be true, but it it's not explicitly telling us it was a rib bone to show us that it he, that the woman is there to support her husband in a support role. I've heard it taught like that, but it's not necessarily what it's there for. Right. So we have the word helper, which we know just looking up that word er is not meant to denote second or less than. It right. is to partner with. So When God gives the commands, and I don't have it here in front of me, but I I think it's here in Genesis 2 or 3. When God gives the commands about how Adam and Eve should conduct themselves pre-fall, right? Be fruitful and multiply. Mm -hmm. Um, Go name the animals. Go do this. Go all these things. Mm -hmm. None of these were gender rolled. Nowhere in Scripture, in the creation story, will you find pre-fall God saying, "This is what a woman does, and this is what a man does." Uh-uh. They were to do it together in partnership. Especially yeah. if we go back to that word "azer," it was a partnership where these two people. And I think, I, I think we've kind of misunderstood because of those couple of little uh, issues in translation. When God said it's not good for man to be alone, God was not saying Adam needed a secretary. He was saying he needs a partner. He needs a co-equal in which he can go out and do these things together with and uh, have an intimate relationship with. Because we know just from reading the basic uh, opening text of the creation story and into the fall, God was not always around. Yeah. There are parts in the Bible when God is just not there. I don't know what he's doing. He might be getting Starbucks. I don't know <laughs> what he's doing, but he's not always there with Adam and Eve.
0: Yeah,
1: So it makes sense that he would create a helper, quote unquote, partner for Adam because God was not always going to be there with Adam. God had created this space for him. He touched base with him on whatever basis that looked like. But he knew that, hey, I can't just leave this guy alone on a huge planet by himself. I need to create him a partner that he can be intimate with, that he can talk with, do all the things that men and women do together with, um, and then I'll touch base with them as I need to or as they need me or or what have you. So it was not this idea that I need to create Adam a second. I need to create Adam a less than or a secretary. This was, I need to create Adam a co equal so that he can be the best that he can be because I'm not always going to be around. I'm not going to be his quote unquote 24 7 buddy. We know (laughs) this because God is clearly absent in chunks of the opening story pre fall. Yeah. So, so Adam has Eve, just like Eve has Adam. Now, a lot of people want to dive into the, um, The order of things. Well, well, man was created first. And we'll get into that later because that is important in some of the things that Paul talks about. But I don't think first denotes seniority here. And how do I know that? Because we don't see that anywhere in Scripture pre-fall. Yeah. We don't see that anywhere. So we know the story. Adam, and Eve, are doing their thing. Now, whether you are a young Earth creationist who says um, this was a literal six days where Adam and Eve were in a garden and then there was a fall and you know or whether you are someone who says well scripture can be a little um I don't want to say metaphorical uh but there are scriptures in bibles that says uh in the bible that says you know to to God a day is like a thousand years or something like that yeah it's very hard for us to judge and I, and anybody could point in either direction here and I wouldn't say they're necessarily wrong because I don't know that anybody actually knows the answer to this. I'm not convinced that it was a literal six days um, in the way that we know 24 hour periods now. Sure. Um, I'm also not convinced that it was billions and billions of years either. I, I actually don't know what the time frame is. All I know is there was a period of time that I lean more towards not being a week or so. <laughs> okay. Um where Adam and Eve were doing their thing. And then eventually we know what happens next. There was a fall. Uh, Eve hears the serpent. She's deceived. She eats. She takes it to Adam. Adam's like, oh, no. I don't, you know, and he eats too. And then we know what happens. God shows up. Now, what's very interesting here when God shows up is this is where we start to see these quote unquote gender roles um, falling into place. And I think there's very good reason for them. A when we talk about God's quote unquote instituted gender roles, what we are actually talking about is man and woman's relationship to one another in a sinful state. I don't know if people understand that.
0: Mm, yeah,
1: We are not talking about the way God intended and created it because we don't have any of that language coming pre-fall. Sure, All of this happens once Adam and Eve are no longer perfect creatures anymore. Yeah, they are true. fallen. They are in sin. Um, do you have that pulled up? Well, when
0: know? he said, because you've done this, like.
1: Right. Yeah. Where's that at? Uh,
0: Genesis, Genesis three fourteen is kind of where it starts. Okay.
1: So Genesis 3, 14. Um, yeah. So we have this language here popping up. Um, the serpent deceived me. Okay. Yeah. So here in verse 15.
0: Well, oh, yeah.
1: No, uh, yeah, we'll go to verse 14. So Genesis 3:14. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, you're cursed more than the cattle and more than every beast in the field. On your belly, you shall eat the dust. And we know the curse that he puts on the, the serpent. Verse 15, I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. Um, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and uh, your conception. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband. So here's the first one. Your desire shall be for your husband. This is interesting because we don't know how Eve felt about Adam pre-fall. Sure. What we do know, though, part of her, I don't want to call it a punishment because I think it's more of a... This is what they brought upon themselves. Sure. Right? Um, but it is interesting that he says this explicitly. Your desire shall be for your husband, uh, and he shall rule over you. Now, what's interesting here is it's it's he's saying you are going to be drawn to him because he is a male. Be- he's just built that way. And because he is a male, he is going to want to rule over you. Now, I think what's actually happening here is before the fall there were still biological differences between the male and the female adam might have been 6'5" jack 220 <laughs> looking like thor with you know abs and everything like that and you know eve might have been i, I don't know take your pick of your ideal woman but even still those two biologically are different creatures Right. Mm-hmm. We see this in nature all the time between, you know, male lines and, and female lines. And I know it, it flips sometimes, but we know just looking at general male and female biology, there is a difference, right? There's a difference muscularly. Yeah. There's there's just a difference. You have to wait till seven to pause it. It's seven. Pause it.
0: The pause button can probably be it.
1: You gotta close it out and reopen it. Good. So that being said, we know there's a difference biological between men and women. So what I think happens here is now that Now that there is a biological difference, right? And they're not going to be in the garden anymore, right? Like there are no more freebies. Remember before this, before sin, there was no death because that is the law of sin and death. Mm -hmm. Uh, Anything that sins has to die. Anything that doesn't sin can't die, which means since sin was not in the world yet, things were not dying. I don't think people realize this. Animals were not just dying. I also don't believe they were just attacking each other. Yeah. And I think this is where we get the imagery of the lion laying with the lamb sure. in the book of Revelation, because we're going back to that creation state where the world is not ripping itself apart to survive anymore. But we know that's what happens post-fall. So all that to say, biologically, now there's a need for one person to cling to the other because biologically they are more fit to hunt, to kill To protect. Does that make sense? And so Eve's desire will be for her husband. She will want to cling to him because he biologically is in a better suited position to fight off a bear or whatever. Yeah. Doesn't mean he's better than her because we know God did not create him to be better than her. They are co equal partners. But because they are now in a fallen world where they have to kill or be killed. They have to farm to eat, right? They're not in the garden anymore, where fruit and and, and, and just it's not all a cart anymore. They're going to have to work yeah. their butts off, whether it's killing animals or or you know plowing the ground. They are going to have to do that to survive now. Which means if there's an imbalance in biology, there's going to be a pecking order now. But the pecking order is not God's intended use for them. We know yeah. that because we don't see that pre-fall. I, Go ahead.
0: No, I was going to say, and I think that's so important. I mean, I might jump in the gun here, but like, it's so important to understand because if that got, wasn't God's original plan, like that's not how we need to live.
1: Sure. and that, <laughs> Right. And that's the whole point of this. So going back to these quote unquote traditional values that we hold on to, if you really want to take it all the way back, these traditional values that we think are gender roles between men and women Are concepts of humanity post fall? They're not how God viewed the man and the woman uh, pre fall. Right. Had Adam and Eve never fallen, we would not be talking about quote unquote gender roles like we are today. Yeah, and
0: this hierarchy of the family.
1: This is what happens when sin enters the picture we get a hierarchy. But that does not happen pre-fall. They were co-equals. They were partners with one another. Yeah. Um, I'll just jump in real fast just to kind of finish that out in 17. It says, Cursed is the ground for your sake, talking to Adam. Uh, In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. Uh, In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, uh, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Okay, also here in verse 20, and Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living things. Isn't it interesting that Eve did not have a name until they fell
0: Hmm.
1: because she was considered part of him. They were one.
0: One, they were both Adam.
1: Right. They were just two Adams, (laughs) essentially.
0: Whoa.
1: Um, And then in verse 20, it said, Adam called his wife Eve. God did not distinguish Adam from Adam. Adam distinguished Eve from Adam post fall. Yeah. Adam is creating gender roles. Now it says he does that because she was the mother of all living. So I don't think Adam's doing this in a derogatory sense. Sure. But this is now Adam seeing with his flesh eyes for the first time and saying, oh, maybe we are different. Mm-hmm. Maybe you do look a little different now. You know what I'm <laughs> saying? Like he's yeah. looking at their genders through a non-spiritual lens for the first time and Eve gets her name. And then we know what happens after that. They have kids and, you know, it's it's a mess after that. Yeah. It's a huge mess. Very quickly, what we find happening, even in the book of Genesis, is once the population rises to a certain level, we see men taking multiple wives. Yeah. They have concubines, and they have harems, and they have they kind of live in this polygamous society. Why do they do that? A couple of reasons. A, uh, during that time, men were the hunters, right? Men were the ones that were going to protect. And, and it was probably a very cruel world at that time. You have all these animals that were just created, and now sin hits the world, and they're all hungry. So man is no longer, especially at that time, at the top of the food chain. Yeah. Right, He's not protected by the this garden, he's not protected by the idea of uh, all nature is in harmony with each other like it was pre-fall. Now, it's a free-for-all. And if there's a bear and it's hungry and Adam's standing there, it's a fight. <laughs> I mean, that's what it is. So biologically, when you look at females, um, they're just biologically, and I, I hope this doesn't sound sexist, just not as equipped during that period in history to solve that problem as a six foot five man was. Now I'm guessing, I don't know that Adam was six <laughs> foot five, but you get yeah, the point rude. I'm trying to make. Yeah, Women were the nurturers at the post fall. Women were the nurturers. They might've been the gatherers. They were the one raising the children and the men were going to be the hunters and the men were going to be the protectors. Yeah, This isn't just in biblical narrative, although it's very much clear in biblical narrative, this is how it operated. This is also in the oldest history we can find. On planet Earth, this was the way of things until civilization and technology, Bronze Age, all that stuff really started kicking out. Even then, we still treated women like second-class citizens, but women had houses and, and things that they could protect themselves with and weapons and tools and stuff. But in the early days, that was not the case. So what we see here is a biological difference that means something now, but it didn't mean anything in God's original plan. They may have been different but it wasn't a pecking order thing. It wasn't till the fall happened and sin entered the picture that now women become less than simply because they can't fight off a bear like a man could. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's a good reason, but that's, that's what happened. And it said, your desire will be for your husband. So she knew this. Eve knew this and probably taught her daughters this, that you are going to need a man in your life to protect you in sure. these kind of ways. This is now the order of things. So yeah. this is a very traditional mindset that they are now passing down into there. And we know this, like I said, because when we start going through the biblical narrative in the book of Genesis, we see men taking on multiple wives. Well, why else would they do that? A, because the women were there to serve the men. Yeah. Uh, sexually.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um. Cooking, cleaning, gathering, all of those things. Men could have multiple wives for that very reason, because men can now rule over these women, right, yeah. uh, for the reasons I just explained. So, but we have to understand all of that, that idea that this is how God ordained it is not true. Sure. I think a better way to say it is this is how sin ordained it. Yeah. Not to say that there are not differences between men and women, but it is to say that we can't just look at our Bible and be like, oh, well, this is this is how it was. Well, this isn't how it was. This is not how life operates if sin is not in the picture. So I know I took a minute to get there, but I think that's important to note that even if we're going all the way back into biblical history, into the book of Genesis, this idea where men rule over women is post-fall. It is only a concept once sin comes in the picture. So now the question is, Just based off that information alone, what do we do with that? What does that mean for the dynamic between men and women now? Because there's a couple things we have to realize. A, sin is still very much prevalent in the world, right? We are not living in the Garden of Eden utopia yet. That's the end game. That's where we're going to get to hopefully one day, but we're not there now. So, knowing that, how do men and women who follow Jesus... How should we view each other knowing this information of what pre-fall, what the pre-fall dynamic was between men and women was, and then what the post-fall dynamic of men and women, what do we do with that information now?
0: I mean, I think just trying to get back to that type deal. Like, I mean, I think if we believe that, I mean, I mean, I guess this depends what you believe, but like if you believe when Jesus died, like, I mean, the kingdom's here and like, then you should act like it <laughs> um, at live as equals. I mean, as a team, I mean, I think it's as simple as that.
1: Okay. So let's say that's the idea, right? That's the concept. That's the overall idea. How mm-hmm. then in a society, well, and I, this is what's crazy is I think society is grasping onto this idea quicker than the church is. Sure. That's problematic in and of itself. <laughs> I mean, yeah. and let's be honest, the church is typically never at the front of no. innovation, social change. I mean, they're late to the game on almost everything. <laughs> um, just especially in American history. I mean, they're late to the game on wanting to get rid of slavery. They're sure. late to the game on women's rights. They're late to the game
0: segregation. on... Segregation.
1: Yeah, segregation. I mean, on e- even just lately, they're late to the game on social justice. I mean, there's <laughs> so many things that the church is late to the game on. And it's so funny that we still in-society value, and, and I don't want to sound totally jaded. I'm just using history here as a backing point. It's so funny that we look to the church still in modern times to be our, our guiding light through all these crazy things that are happening socially, even though we can clearly see the church's track record over the past 100 years and be like, uh, 200 years, be like, uh, you guys don't have the best track record here. <laughs> uh, honestly, imagine if you had a mayor or a senator or a governor, whatever, and we know this. You can go online and look at the voting records of you know the politicians we elect on a state and federal level. Imagine <clears throat> if you went back the past five terms of your governor, if he had been in office, and you saw that every single time he voted on something, he was clearly wrong about it. Yeah. Every single time. Yeah. You would at some point, A, not keep electing that guy. But then B, at some point, you'd be like... Maybe he doesn't know what he's talking about. Maybe this isn't the right person for leadership. It's yeah, funny, yeah. though, because we have not held the church to the same standard here in America. Yeah. They have they have a horrible voting record at large. Not every single church is that way. But the majority of the Western American church, if you look at the big issues, slavery, uh, women's rights, um, Uh, Segregation. I mean, just uh, just go down the line of big things in American history. The church is typically, and I almost want to say exclusively, on the wrong side of history at large. Yeah. It's very interesting. And yet we still look to the church for answers when it comes to social justice and, and all these issues today. And I'm sitting here thinking historically, they haven't been the best point of reference, mm-hmm. you know, not to say we should throw the church out. I'm just saying, like, let's, let's put some things in context here, guys. Right. Um, all that being said, how so it does seem like the church once again is late to the game because we still only have, what would you say, 3% of evangelical churches who have women pastors? Yes. Okay. I mean, that's a number right there. So what you have right now in culture and we're. I can't remember when the women had the right to vote. Was it in the forties? I think I it was thirties. Like 30s, thirties 30s, 30s or forties. Sure yeah. Even still, we're close to coming up to close to hundred years of that, right? <laughs> Geesh, yeah. Right. We will see that in our lifetime, and you and I's lifetime. It will be a hundred years where women had the right to vote. Um, we could talk about the gender pay gap and all that that kind of stuff in society. But what we do see happening right now, inside of. Um, American culture. And I think it's fair to say Western culture, because I think you're seeing this on a global level as well, that women are demanding equality, that yep. they, they, they do not view themselves as less than or secondary mm-hmm. to men. That's on a pay level. Yep. That's occupationally. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's across the board. And I think we've seen that really rise up, especially in the last 20 years or so, where this idea of equality is just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And then you have things like uh, trans rights and gay rights and all these other things that kind of get tied into that to where basically what we're saying is, White men shouldn't run the show anymore. And let's be honest, that's what it is. We're saying equality should be spread across the board, whether you're black, brown, white, gay, trans, woman, male, female. None of that matters. What the general cultural idea is now is we should be all in an even playing field. Yeah. Right. What's funny is you're starting to see companies Big ones, Google, Microsoft, Apple, Amazon, you're starting to see companies take massive leaps and bounds to try to find this equality, right? And yet, when we look at the evangelical church inside America, 3% (laughs) of pastors are women. Yeah. You can't tell me the church is not late to the game here. (laughs) Now, the bigger question, because we could just poke fun at the church all day. The bigger question is why? Why is the church late to the game here? And I believe it's rooted in some really bad misunderstandings about the Bible and some belief systems. It's also rooted in, and I hate to say this because I know I bring it up all the time. It's also rooted in there are a select group of people who like to stay in power. That's just human nature. That's how it is. And at this point in time in history... Uh, in this particular country, and, and this is not a race racist statement, this is just what it is. At this particular point in history, it is still predominantly white men. All those stats you gave in the beginning, all of that points to white males, especially older white males in their 50s or 60s. Would yeah. you say the average age was 50, 50, 55? Yeah, 51. Okay, so you typically have the 55 white male running the church. That's not me saying that. That's not speculation. That's the statistics yeah. you read off of what, Pew Research?
0: I think it was. Which like
1: are pretty good. Most, most Christians in most churches will use their statistics. Um, that's not a race thing. I'm just saying that is. So if there's anybody who's holding on to the power, if we can accuse anyone of doing that, it would be older white men.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: When we look at only 3% of evangelical churches having women as pastors... We have to know that they are in opposition to the 55-year-old white man who is running the show. Now, whether every 55-year-old white man who is a pastor in a church uh, is directly opposed to a female being a pastor, that's another story, right? Now we're getting on the micro level instead of the macro. But we do know there's just this huge discrepancy between these numbers. Mm -hmm. So the question is, why? What is going on that is causing this? Um, Before I dive into a to a particular scripture, do you want to take any shots, any guesses, any, any anything you want to say about that before we move on?
0: About what specifically?
1: Uh, just about culturally in what's happening in our churches that would allow us to only have 3% of uh, women being pastors of the evangelical world. Let me say this. I'm going to ask some rhetorical questions here. Is it because there's less women in the church?
0: Oh, no, there's
1: no way. Okay, right. So we know that's not the issue. So we knock yeah. that off the table. Is it because women are less qualified to do the job of a pastor?
0: You know better than to ask that question.
1: Okay. <laughs> I'm just trying to nail this down here. Yeah. So we could take that off the table. Uh, is it because women have less desire to become pastors or leaders of churches?
0: No. I mean, maybe. Maybe. It-
1: not not three percent though.
0: No, you're telling
1: me only three percent yeah, of women in the evangel taught. right. So we could take that off the table. So sure. it's not an issue of desire. It's not a issue uh, an issue of quantity. It's not an issue of quality. So Look, the, what's the issue?
0: Well, two things. Perhaps the 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 culture infiltrating them, which they are so against. Like they just totally latched onto the way culture was, and not understanding. Yeah, that 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 wasn't the intended hierarchy of family and of of the church was men, women like that was all sin. That was all after. And, and I, I don't f- think anybody knows that. <laughs> like, I don't think anybody I've never heard anybody say that ever.
1: Here's my issue with that. I want to believe that I want to believe that the 55 year old white men statistically who are running the evangelical church today. I want to believe that they don't know that. Two issues with that. A, they're so ignorant with their Bible, they don't understand what we just talked about. Okay? Not
0: that's scary. That scares me. Because I read some, most of them have a bachelor's. 50% of them hold a bachelor's. And in... Sure.
1: S- to me, that's scary. To think that the evangelical white, 55-year-old men that are running the church today are so ignorant of their Bible, they can't run through what we just ran through in 45 minutes, right? You yeah. and I are not scholars.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and we ran through it, I think, fairly well in about 45 minutes, provided a good case, I sure. think. Um So that's scary if the truth is that they're so ignorant, they just can't comprehend this.
0: That's scary.
1: (laughs) Okay, so that's, that's option A. Option B, which I don't think is any better, they know this, but they actively repress and don't teach this to remain in power. Yeah. To me, is there another option? I can't think of another option outside of those two things. There's either ignorance or a willingness to teach the wrong thing.
0: I mean, or somewhere in between.
1: Or they're just so blinded by what they've been taught their whole right, lives that they're holding they, on tradition. Right. Like, people but don't... that still falls under the category of ignorance well, because they can open their Bibles just like you and sure. I did. Sure, this is not This is not the Da Vinci code, right? We didn't have to go search around catacombs to find this hidden code. Yeah. And it's right there. What do we use? One word study? <laughs> you know yeah. what I'm saying? Like this was not heavy deep excavation of the scripture and we could have gone much deeper, but even what we just did in 45 minutes, I feel was enough to prove a case of what we're trying to say, that women pre-fall were equal to men. Whether they were taught that or whether they gloss over it, it still falls under the category of ignorant. So we either have ignorance leading the way, or we have open suppression of scripture leading the way. And I don't think either are acceptable when it comes to leading churches. And we're not just talking about a church. We're talking about the evangelical church right. in America, which I pointed this out earlier. The evangelical church in America typically is the loudest voice, yeah, especially when it comes to conservative politics in America. So what you have happening right now, and I don't want to dive too much in this because we talked about it last podcast, but when we talk about Roe versus Wade, mm-hmm. and you have the evangelical voice pushing these concepts and idea into the cultural sphere of America and yet we can look at who's running the show statistically via Pew research the 55 year old white <laughs> male who is either ignorant to these scriptures that we're talking about today or openly suppressing them saying to the rest of the world women you do not have rights you see where i you, you see how these things intertwine and connect here yeah This is a problem. And this is, pardon my kind of language, this is why the world is calling BS on the church. Right. Not the whole church. There are churches and denominations that do not share this viewpoint. But if we're talking about the charismatic, evangelical side of Christianity, here's where the world is calling BS. Yeah. And I think they have grounds to do so. Sure so before we dive into scripture anything else you kind of like culturally or socially you just want to throw in there before we dive into some scriptures and try to pull something apart no thank you guys for joining us today in this podcast this is part one uh of the women in ministry uh two-part series so i what we just went over was more of like the social commentary and just general understanding of women in ministry and church. But part two coming next Monday is a really deep dive into uh first Timothy two. And we're going to really dig into scripture. And I think it's honestly 10 times better than part one. Part one was good. And if you liked that part two is going to be way better. We're getting back to really digging deep into scripture. So don't miss next week. It's going to be awesome. See you guys then.